Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's Physics Central podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. CERN's enormous particle accelerator, the Large Hadron Collider, has been getting a lot of attention lately. It's hard not to when your first big discovery, the Higgs boson, leads to a Nobel Prize. But it got me thinking about the United States' last remaining collider, the Relativistic Heavy Ion Collider at Brookhaven Labs. It's tiny compared to the LHC, but it's not trying to be the most powerful atom smasher in the world. Instead, it's one of the most versatile. Finished in 2000, it may also be the very last collider we build in the United States, the way things are going. I visited the laboratory about a year ago to see what kind of science goes on at Rick. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to recreate the conditions as they existed in the universe about a microsecond after the Big Bang. This is James Dunlop, a physicist at Rick's Star Detector. When I talked to him, we were in a room adjacent to the accelerator while it was running. So the noise you're hearing in the background is from some of the electrical subsystems that power it. The way we do that is we take the biggest nucleus we can come up with, a gold nucleus, or actually right now a uranium nucleus. We accelerate them up to very high speeds uh, in in a large accelerator, and then we collide them head on, right? And when we collide them head on, you end up with a big splash of particles, something like 1,000, 2,000 particles, depending on the type of collision. And what we do is we sort through that debris that comes out of the collision, and we look for patterns uh, in, in the properties of the particles that come out in order to look at the properties of the matter that was produced. This is basically how all colliders work. They smash particles together and then sift through the remains. And this is how the Higgs boson was discovered at CERN. Here, though, the stuff they're smashing together is a bit different, but I'll get to that in just a minute. The detectors at RIC are smaller than those at the LHC, but they actually work fundamentally the same. Well, the star detector is a large uh, particle physics standard detector, uh, which is built to look at the particles that come out of collisions between gold nucleus at very high energy. It's basically one large three-dimensional camera. So, uh, so you have... You have particles that go through something, gas, silicon, some kind of material. They leave charge, right? And then you record the charge with a computer, and you stream that onto, out into a computer farm, which then you use to reconstruct the collisions. So how do these computer farms take this raw data from the detector and turn it into a picture of the collision? Right. So, so for example, our time projection chamber. You've got a very large volume of gas. It's, uh, it's argon, methane, it's just gas. Uh, and, and it's two, two meters long. A particle goes through it. It's under a controlled electric field so that, so that you get a very controlled drift of the electrons that the particle has left. Okay? And by looking at the timing and where it hit on the end of the time projection chamber, you can reconstruct a three-dimensional track. We moved to the detector's control room, and Dunlop showed me this computer screen with what looked like a bright, multicolored firework on it. What you're seeing is uh, real-time uh, collisions from, between two uranium particles, right? So central uh, head-on collisions between two uranium nuclei in the center of the star detector, right? And so what comes out of that is, you know, maybe a couple hundred, a thousand uh, particles that all come from one point. And one of the nice things about this event display is that you can see clearly that they're all coming from one point. Could you kind of describe what it looks like? Okay, so you have uh, uh, various colored tracks, right? And the color means the amount of energy that they've deposited in the gas. Okay, Um, uh, spraying out radially from one point and uh, with some uh, shape in the, in, the, in the transverse direction. Here's kind of where we get to see what sets Rick apart from the LHC. 
Rick is its big thing is the relativistic heavy ion collider, right? It's the first collider in the world that 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 accelerated uh, heavy ions, right? And the and the reason why you want heavy ions is that you want an extended collision zone. You want something big. You want you want to create matter, right? And you don't really create matter when you're colliding protons. They're a little bit too small. Uh, but but we take the largest things that we have that are on the nuclear scale, gold, uranium, uh, and we collide them and create a hot zone of matter. And that's basically, that, that's the main uh, strength of Rick. This energized zone of matter is the key. If you make it hot enough, it turns into this unique state of matter, something you can analyze and study, even though it only lasts for a tiny fraction of a second. And it's a little bit different than, say, high-energy physics. It's a little bit more like condensed matter physics. This is Dave Morrison, one of the group leaders at Rick's other big detector, Phoenix. We're trying to create some material. This is, you know, the size of an atomic nucleus, but it's where the quarks and the gluons that make up the protons and the neutrons, which in turn make up the nuclei, have become liberated and kind of move around as a substance. And so once you have enough energy in the system to do that, well, what comes out really depends on how that substance behaves. Does it flow? Does it have collective motion? Does it have sound waves? And so we're studying what amounts to yeah, condensed matter physics of that material by studying the particles that come out of the collisions. In 2010, scientists at Rick made a big announcement. They had created a phase of matter so hot that it broke down the bonds between quarks, the fundamental building blocks of protons and neutrons. For an instant, researchers created this quark-gluon plasma, a soupy mess of matter's most basic elements. Now, it's often said that quark-gluon plasma is um, you know, what, what the universe was, what was like one microsecond after the Big Bang. Does that mean by simulating it here, we can have a, a better understanding of how the universe kind of coalesced into the state it is today? Maybe. I mean, the, when this field got started, it wasn't clear exactly the, the, um, the way in which the nature of the phase transition. So you go from one phase of matter that's made up of quarks and gluons to a, another phase of matter made up of things like uh, hadrons, things that contain quarks and gluons. And you can think of that like going from, say, steam to water, right? You're cooling down, you go from one phase to another. Now, in water, you have this uh, what's called a first-order phase transition. There's a very strong change in the nature of the material. You go from steam to water. And if the kind of phase transition that we were looking at was like that, then you would really expect to see in the universe evidence of, like, bubbles coming from that. Sort of, like, well, a little bit like uh, if you're heating up a pot of water and you get bubbles of steam in the water, that's because you have this kind of first-order phase transition. The current understanding of the nature of this phase transition is a much more gentle kind of transition. So it's not clear that one would be able to take a telescope, look out into the sky, and see evidence that says, ah, that bubble of something in the sky where there may or may not be galaxies or stars or something is as a result of this cooling down from a quark-gluon plasma to the matter we have around us now. So it's not clear that we'll be able to learn something that we would look out with a telescope and see. Still, it's telling us a lot about quantum chromodynamics, which is the 
fundamental theory that governs how all of these subatomic particles interact. So it's maybe on a little more abstract level, we'll learn something about the very dense uh, system of when quantum chromodynamics is governing a system that's extremely dense and it's consisting of quarks and gluons flying around. That's the kind of thing that we're studying and we'll learn about that. And yet, at some point, the universe was so hot, that's what it consisted of. I mean, you and me and everything was, you know, in some hot little ball of quarks and gluons. And what we're studying here is like a tiny little example of that. So... It's a little more abstract than being able to say, ah, great, now we'll go talk to the guys with the telescope and tell them what to go look for. Uh, But, yeah, we we learn in a very general way about uh, what governed the universe at that very, very early stage. Rick is doing some pretty amazing science, but there's a worry that its operational life might be cut short. A report out earlier this year by the Nuclear Science Advisory Committee recommended deactivating the collider to reduce costs to the Department of Energy. However, right now, no final decision on the fate of the machine has been reached. The lab is still planning runs through 2014 and even looking into upgrades. So who knows? That's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. Check our website to find photos of Rick, more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 